FC. My name is Josh Roberts. I'm one of the staff pastors. Would you make some noise for our lead pastors? Thank you so, so much from, from my heart and the heart of those that are here today and watching. Thank you for leading so well for four decades. Uh, your, your example has been um, such a testimony for us. I love your, your authenticity and sharing your story because it gives us hope. So again, thank you so much for all that you've done and all that you're doing. Thank you for the opportunity to minister in your platform today and share the word with your folks. We welcome you online today. We wish you were here today, but we believe that you're going to be blessed right in your home. I'm a little excited today because today is one of my favorite days of the year, and that's Life Group Launch Sunday. Come on, you can make some noise. Life Group Launch Sunday. And I'm pumped about this because this is the opportunity where the church gets smaller. I'm going to talk about this a little bit today, but as we grow as a church, pre-COVID, almost 2,000 people calling this place home, but the way that the Lord has instructed us to do it is that we have a place of worship for you on the weekends, but that we create environments for you to grow together in relationship with others. And so I want to invite you today... As we launch, you can go to intlfamilychurch.com. There's a life group finder on that page. And I want to encourage you, take some time today, this week, find a group, get connected with us, and let's do life together. We, we say it this way. We believe that circles are better than rows. And I believe it even more than I did before we were six feet apart. I believe that circles are better than rows six feet apart. Amen. God's called us to do life together. And so again, we believe that there's a, a ton of groups. In fact, we have 57 groups that launched today. That's 57 leaders who have committed from this house to pioneer with us. Would you make some noise for all those that are committing to lead? We've got a great coaching staff for those leaders. We've got a great administration team that will help you find a group online. All of our groups are digital this semester. And so again, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. Such a small commitment, it's 12 weeks in your personal growth. We talk a lot about growth plans, personal growth plans. I don't know that you could find a better personal growth plan than doing life with other people who believe the way that you do. And today for the next 32 minutes, I want to take some time and I want to talk about the importance of groups, but I really want to talk about the power of connection. I want to talk about the ability and the power that comes in relationships that God has instructed us, and I want to show you this today, he's instructed us to link arms and to do life with other people. I was reading a recent poll taken during this COVID season. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a people person. I've really um, kind of been uncomfortable during this whole mask and give me my six feet of space. I just want to run and hug people. <laughs> I just want to give people the knuckles. I say, yes, Chris, I'm like, I, this, I'm done. I'm so done. And, and I'm ready to get back to life the way that God designed it for us. Face-to-face, person-to-person, relationship-to-relationship, family-to-family. But this study said that people were asked during the season, who were you closest to? And I would ask you that this season. Who would you say that you are the closest to in this season? Sadly, 40% of Americans said they are close to no one. That's four out of every 10 people that were asked, who are you close to? And their response was, I'm not close to anybody. 
You know, the enemy's greatest job and his greatest tactic is division to drive us away from each other. I really don't like the idea of social distancing. I'll just be real because I think it's a misinterpretation. We really should have said physical distancing. Because what physical distancing is mean, I'm going to give you your space and I'm good with that. But socially, we need to be connected greater than we ever have. You know, when you look in the Bible, you would find that most people would say the first sin in the Bible was, or the first problem in the Bible was sin. And that's actually not the truth. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord identifies the first problem, but he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Before man ever had a sin problem, he had a loneliness problem. And today I want to challenge you that if you're in the place that I have been, and maybe many of you are, that you understand that that is a tactic of the enemy to keep you isolated, to keep you by yourself, and to keep you lonely. That's the enemy working overtime to divide the power of the local church. See, God's plan for our life It includes and demands other people. See, loneliness and solitude, they affect everyone. And God came and sent Jesus for a purpose that we would be united. Hear me, united doing life together, not alone. There's even stories in the Bible because I've had people tell me, well, I'm good. I don't don't need other people. I've I've got my job. I've I've got my money. I'm good. You know, even Solomon in the Bible, the wisest, richest man to ever walk the earth, this is what he said about himself in Ecclesiastes 4.8. He said, there was a man all alone. He was writing about himself. There was a man that was all alone who had neither son nor brother, and there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. I got to be honest with you. This is the story of so many people that I meet today. I don't have anybody, I don't have any friends, or I don't even need any friends. And you know what? If I had friends, I wouldn't have time to hang out with them because I'm so busy at work. And I'm so busy at work chasing the dream or the thing that's in my heart. It's it's all good. You know, there's, there's so many people that live this life by themselves with nobody because they're consumed by the work and the idea of getting more. We've been duped, everybody. We've been duped by the enemy, by, by, by marketing and society to say, hey, you can have this, but you're going to have to give up this. And I want to tell you the most important thing in our lives as believers is not the car you drive or the stuff you have or the shoes on your feet or even the house you live in. The greatest asset that you have is the relationships that God has given you. Oh, I thought that would get a bigger amen. It's not about stuff. It's not about the things. It's it's about the people in our lives. A rich person isn't rich because of money and stuff. The true riches come in the relationships of who you are doing life with. I pray that by the end of this message that you'll understand that it's, it's not only an option, it's a necessity for us to thrive. For the last few weeks, I've been studying uh, the, the book of John. And if you're, if you're a new believer, I want to encourage you, don't just flip through the Bible and pick something. I want to encourage you to, to start in the book of John. And the reason I say the book of John is because there's four books in the New Testament that, that begin the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
In the first three or the first four books, they're all personal accounts of being with Jesus. Matthew's story of him being with Jesus and Mark's story with being with Jesus and Luke. And in the first three, we call those the synoptic gospels. Synoptic, meaning they're kind of the same. It's, it's one man from different perspective sharing a story. But when you read the book of John, he's so much more in depth about how Jesus was and how he talked and who he was. There's just this, it's a brighter view of the Jesus that we're called to know. And so I've been studying in that. And it's kind of funny because I've been studying about the Passover. And we had communion today. You know, communion is the celebration of the children of Israel being freed from Egyptian slavery. And the the Jews gather once a year to celebrate Passover, to celebrate their freedom. And this is where we find ourselves in John chapter 13. We find ourselves with Jesus and his friends celebrating the Passover. And in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, we find Jesus having this dinner party, a celebration. I think there's a lot of people that make this sound, or I've heard people preach this, that it was kind of this down time. No, no, this was an invigorating time. This was a celebratory time where friends and family would gather and, and, and you would share about you know, what, what God is doing in your life in the past and the future. And we find Jesus in chapter 13 having this discussion over dinner. Anybody love dinner? You know, one of the greatest things that I'm looking forward to after the pandemic is going out to dinner with our friends or being able to at least invite people over to dinner in our home. And there's a few of you, I want to invite myself over to your house because you got good cooking going on in your house. (laughs) The great thing about going to an international church is, man, we got all kinds of flavors cooking up in here. I love it. But this is Jesus, and in, in, in I want to share uh, just a few points today, and I, I want you to understand these are things that I've pulled out of this story, and I want to give them to you. Five lessons I learned over dinner with Jesus, and I want to begin in chapter 13 of John. John 13, verse 4 through 8, it says, He got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Then he dried them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, you have to understand, this, this was a customary thing. When you walked into a home of somebody else, there was usually a servant there to welcome you into the home. And it was kind of like, hey, welcome to home. You know, today we would say, can we get you something to drink? Take your shoes off, sit down. This was kind of just a a welcome procedure, but Jesus is having dinner and realized the guy that was at the door wasn't there tonight. And so he assumes the responsibility right in the middle of dinner. Says he began to wash the disciples' feet and he wrapped a towel around himself and he came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? And Jesus said, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you're going to understand. No, 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 Peter said. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you can have no part of me. Jesus was saying, Peter, I've taken care of all things in your life. I can handle the dirty, messy things. I can handle the things that you're uncomfortable with. I'm bigger than your situation. I'm okay with the dirt and the grime and the nitty-gritty in the hidden parts of your life. Peter was one of the most insecure leaders, 
before Christ died that we'll meet in the gospel. We see him going back and forth and back and forth. And I think he's thinking in this moment that there's going to be something else exposed and he's going to be called out in front of his friends. See, there's many people today, including myself, that we want a relationship with Jesus as long as he doesn't see the messy, stinky parts of our life. You know, the greatest thing that we can have in a relationship with Jesus is our ability to expose ourselves to him with no judgment. I think the reason that we're scared to share messy parts of our life with, with Jesus is because we've been done wrong by those around us. Because we've shared the dirt and the grime and the pain and the hurt and the anxiety and the depression and the fear and all that with others, and they turned it and used this against us for most people. I'm just being real. That's why we're afraid to tell Jesus about that same stuff because we have a view of him through the view of those around us. And the truth is Jesus can handle whatever junk you got going on, whether people see it or not. It says that in verse 12, when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is who I am. And now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Verse 15 says, for I have set an example that you should do as I have done unto you. The first story or the first lesson that I pick up out of this dinner conversation with Jesus is this, is that I need people who will care for me. Everybody at that dinner table needed somebody to care for them in that season, whether they knew it or not, because Jesus knew what was coming. If you're not familiar with the story, you know, this is Thursday night. This is Passover time, and Friday, the Friday morning, he's going to be turned over to, to the Roman guards, and he's going to die on the cross, for, and then he's going to raise from the dead on Sunday. We're going to celebrate Easter. He knew all this was coming, but they didn't. And he's telling them, listen, you're going to need somebody to care for you. And actually, you're going to need somebody to care for you, but you're also going to need to be an example and care for others because of what's coming. In no greater season in, in my personal life at 45 years old, I want to tell you this, we need to care for other people. And at the same time, we need to allow people to care for us. I need people to care for me. Jesus was caring for the disciples in their total capacity, the unlovely parts, the hidden parts, the dirty parts. I remember a season in my life where it was dark and gloomy, and I got invited into a small group, and when I got in that small group, I had my walls up because of pain and shame, and there was a young man at that time who cared for me, and he spoke life over me, and he didn't judge me. He walked with me through that pain and that shame. And I'll be honest with you, I'm in ministry today because somebody in my darkest hour invited me in and said, hey, we can care for you, man. We can care for you, and I believe that that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today as a pastor, because someone cared for me. Now it's my obligation to care for others. Jesus was showing them this is the model, guys. You don't know what's coming, but persecution, hard times are going to come. And this is the way you're going to build the church. Caring for each other would be necessity. 
for the days to come. I'll be honest with you, this, this is a, a crazy story because if this is how the church was born, this really isn't an option for us. To be a follower of Christ, you have to be willing to give care. And here's the hard part. You have to be willing to receive care. There's this point where pride keeps you from being a follower of Christ. I'll take all that. I mean, I'll give all the care. I'll give all the care, but I don't need any care. That's a prideful attitude. The truth is, is no matter who you are, how awesome you are, how good looking you are, how much money you got, who you're married to, we all are required to give care, but we're all also demanded by the Lord if we're going to be followers of him to receive care. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I love this out of the message. It says, the way God, God designed our bodies, it's a model. Pinch yourself. Pinch yourself at home or pinch someone sitting next to you. Your body is a model for understanding our lives together. Together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention, or you could say the parts that you see and the parts that we don't. The parts that hurt Every other part involved in the hurt and in on the healing. For if one part flourishes, every other part enters into this exuberance. This right here is a model for what the church of Jesus Christ should look like. Now, I'm not going to say every church has this, but this is the model and the prototype that we're unified together in a body, toes connected to feet. Feet connected to ankles, ankles connected to legs, to your heart, to your hair, to your fingernails. Everybody working in rhythm that we may produce a purpose. Can I tell you this? There's there's more of a purpose for the church than you coming on Sunday and worshiping God. There's more of a purpose than you coming and dropping your dime in the bucket so you can receive your blessing. The greater purpose is that we get care so we can go and care. That we get the care we need in here so we can be empowered to go give the care out there. I know that I need somebody to care for me. See, our church, maybe again, maybe you're new, but our church is designed for this to happen. The way we've laid this out and structured the way we do church, we believe that, that, that everybody's a minister of the gospel. Well, there's a few leaders there. No, no, no. We're all leaders here. Every one of us, even those watching us live, we have leadership potential. We've structured our, our, our gatherings so that you could come worship together and then you could go get the care you need in small groups. Listen to this. As our church gets bigger, we are working around the clock to make it feel smaller. I'm grateful that our pastors care for so many people on so many levels, but the truth is they they can't handle all the care of everyone, and that's why they've asked us as staff and as leaders, and they've asked you, would you create a group? Would you open your home? Would you meet with some people online? Because there's a lot of people that need some care, and we know that as we give them care, we multiply ourselves, that we can say, hey, you've gotten the care, now we empower you to start a group and go care for others. Think about somebody saying, well, I I just want Pastor Jonathan. I want him to be the pastoral care that that I get. And and that's a great heart, but the truth is, is he's only one man. But I look around the room and I know the numbers that are watching online. What if every one of us committed to give pastoral care in the context of groups? 
What if every one of us took the responsibility of our neighbors and said, hey, pastor, you, you, you do what you need to do. I, I got this covered. I can handle these 12. I can handle these 15, and I'll care for them as you've cared for me. That's the model that we've built here. Romans chapter 12, verses 15 out of the NLT says, when others are happy, be happy with them. If they're sad, share with their sorrow. I'll spend a little bit more time on this first point because I think it's important. I was at a funeral during COVID. I was there with Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Tom. One of our members had passed away during the season. And I remember walking into this funeral thinking, wow, what a funky time, COVID. Everybody's in masks. People are separated. And there was the wife of the, the, the gentleman that had passed and his family. And the first people that greeted me at the door were, were people from IFC, his small group. And I walked around and I start seeing more people. And I'm like, oh, there's, there's uh, what are they doing here? And then I realized, oh, they're in a small group together. And then I looked over here and someone said, Pastor, we got some seats back here. And I realized there was somebody else that was in their small group. And I looked around the room and I thought, I don't know all the people, but I know them and I know them and I know them and I know them. And how, what? And then all of a sudden I kind of just had this moment where I'm like, man, this really works. Yes, pastor wants to be there and, and mourn with them, but they were already surrounded by a group of people that had been doing life with them. I remember talking to that widow at the gravesite and saying, how you doing? How's everything? And she said, you won't believe it. She said, we've had such an outpouring of love. She said, our life group has just come alongside of us. She said, yesterday at the wake, she said, the life group that my husband was in, she said, they all came together to see him. They drove from two hours away to arrive together to pay their respects and honor him. Let me tell you something. I want that kind of care. I want that care for my family. And greater than that, I want that care for your family. And I want you to understand that the power in that moment wasn't about a pastor in just one person or Pastor Tom. It was about, wait, we've surrounded ourselves with a family working together as a body. And just because one moment we're, we're having a hard time, guess what? They all rallied around us to bring us up and encourage us in that season. That's the power of a small group. I want to tell you this, when, when you sign up for a group this week, that's the kind of care that we're going to give you. I know you're all going to sign up for groups because that's the kind of care that you need and that's the kind of care that you want to give. The second lesson I learned is in John chapter 14, and this lesson is, I need people who will encourage me. Jesus immediately switches in chapter 14 and says, do not let your hearts be troubled Trust in God and also trust in me. I feel like this is one of my gifts. I think it's just a God-given thing. I love to encourage people. But I remember uh, standing on a stage at a youth ministry in Southern California, and I watched a young man walk in with one of our leaders, and he was, gosh, Eddie had to have been six foot seven, six foot eight. I mean, he was towering over all the other teenagers in that room. Stood out like a sore thumb, not only because of his height, but because of you could see the oppression on his face. It was the face of a young man who had seen all kinds of stuff that he should never have to seen at 17 years old. And I preached the gospel, and that night Eddie raised his hand and gave his heart to the Lord. And I thought, man, tonight's the night. 
This is amazing. This young man has gone from death to life. This is his story started tonight, a new chapter in his book. And I prayed with him, and he came back week after week. And five weeks later, Eddie wasn't at youth ministry anymore. And I asked where Eddie was, and nobody knew where he was. And I called his family, and his mother said, oh, you didn't hear? She said, Eddie was involved in a in a, in a, in a Gangbang is what she said. She said, Eddie was stabbed five times last night. I didn't know what to say. I just said, well, I need to see him. And so I went to set some time to meet with Eddie. And Eddie was trying to figure out what was going on. And I, I walked away from this gang and I gave my heart to the Lord. And then they jumped me and I get stabbed and now I'm hanging on for my life. And in that moment, I realized Eddie needs encouragement like on a daily basis. And I invited Eddie to the tattoo shop where I was having my small group. Don't look at me so religious. You can have a small group at a tattoo shop. You can have a small group at a shoe shop. You can have a small group at a hair salon. I don't care. God will show up wherever you want to take him. In fact, sometimes you've got to get the small group out of your church environment and take it to the gym, take it to the salon. We've got all kinds of groups here. Don't judge anybody just because they hang out somewhere you wouldn't hang out. And I invited Eddie, realizing this is an environment he knows. The kind of guys that are at my Bible study are the kind of guys that Eddie needs. Because Eddie needed encouragement. Week after week after week, after week after week after week after month after month, Eddie came in and I watched God do something crazy in Eddie's life. And then his brother Tomas came. And Tomas was the same height and I thought, dude, you guys are monsters. Like, this is crazy, and Tomas gave his heart to the Lord, and man, we were getting encouragement every week, and they were getting fired up, and, and then I remember the next week, we were right in the middle of the Bible study, and the door of the tattoo shop flung open, and it was Big Ed. Big Ed was Eddie and Tomas's father, and he was the same height, but he had about 200 more pounds than those guys. And he filled the whole doorway, and right in the middle of my preaching, he stomped in and said, what the blank's going on in here? I said, um, I'm Pastor Josh. Uh, we're having a Bible study and you're disrupting. You're having what? I know my boys are here screwing around. What's going on in here? And he began to rant, just read me the riot act in front of everybody. And I said, sir, your son was stabbed five times eight weeks ago and we just thought this would be a great place for him to get encouragement. What? Y'all are believers? What's going on here? Seriously. Now, he was taken back. I said, yes, sir, we gather every week. This is, this is my friend C. This is my friend Chuck. This is Phil. This is Bill. And, 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 and they're a bunch of biker, rowdy-looking dudes. I said, we all love Jesus, and we just get together to, to find encouragement together. And he started weeping. And then he started bawling because he came in to point a finger. And then he fell to his knees, and even with his knees, he was still taller than me. And I just went over, and I just wrapped my arms around his big head. And I just prayed for him, and he began to sob, and like 14 of these rough-looking dudes all gathered around him, and we prayed for Big Ed, and Ed rededicated his heart to the Lord that night. Listen, I don't care where you are, or where you're from, or where you've been, or where you're going. We all need encouragement. And I'm going to tell you this, when we open these groups, don't be so judgmental to see the looks on their face on the other side of the Zoom call. They're there because they need somebody to encourage them. And I'm asking you, I'm imploring you, every time you gather in these groups, keep it up. Encourage those. You never know what somebody's going through. 
I need encouragement. Hebrews 3.13 says this, this is the time to encourage each other to never be stubborn or hardened by sin's deceitfulness. When you sign up for the groups this week, which I know you're going to do, I want you to do me a favor. Don't just join the group, but meet somebody and give them your phone number. Exchange your phone number so that you can text each other or call each other. Exchange emails so that you have a connection for encouragement between the seven days before you meet again. One of the greatest powerful tools is a cell phone because at any given moment, whether they want it or not, you can put courage in somebody. The third lesson that I learned from this dinner with Jesus is I need people who will partner with me. I need people who will partner with me. John 15, he goes on to say, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself for it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. For I am the vine, you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Every one of us are called to produce fruit in our life. When God created your spirit, your spirit was created with a purpose in mind, with a seed of greatness in there. There was an assignment attached to that seed. And that assignment has been growing and that purpose has been developed for this moment, for this hour, for this season of your life. No matter if you're 12 or if you're 22 or if you're 85, it doesn't matter. You still have a purpose. But there's a key component to that purpose and that is you can't do it by yourself. You cannot fulfill your purpose alone. You cannot bear fruit by yourself. I love John Maxwell, one of the greatest leadership gurus out there. And he says, listen... Only one out of 10 people can fulfill their purpose by themselves. The other nine are going to need some help. I don't know what number you consider yourself. One, two, three, four, five, six, a seven, an eight, a nine, or you're that special 10. But I'm going to tell you this, 90% of us in this room and watching online, we're going to need some help. We're not only going to need the help of the Holy Spirit and his direction and his power in our life, but we're going to need some human interaction, some human connection, some human relationship being developed so we can be and produce everything God's called us to be. This is one of the greatest assets that come in groups because you're going to find somebody that's producing fruit that you want in your life. Well, how would I know what kind of group I want to be in? Let me ask you, what kind of life do you want to have? Well, you ask, I I don't know. I've been thinking about a marriage group. Well, let me ask you this. Is your marriage awesome? No, it's not awesome. Then I would go get in the marriage group because there's some awesome marriages taking place in there that will give you the care and be the example for the purpose of your marriage. Maybe it's financial things. Maybe there's, there's these things that are overwhelming you with finances. Listen, we've got groups created where there's some amazing people planting purposeful seeds in those groups. And when you attach yourself to them, all of a sudden you find yourself strengthened. I remember when I was in debt and someone said, hey, I used to be in debt, but I'm not anymore. I said, well, tell me how you did it. And they said, well, you're going to need to come with us because it's, it's, it's a longer conversation than five minutes in the coffee shop. 
And so for 12 weeks, I partnered myself with this person and said, hey, tell me how you did it. Walk me through it. And we went through Financial Peace University. And I can tell you this, God's help, God's supernatural intervention, but the relationships that I made in that group were the significance of me getting out of debt. You're going to have to partner with others. I love that our church, we don't offer membership. You guys don't offer membership? No, no, no. We don't believe in membership here. We believe in partnership here. If you go through our growth track, and I, and I highly recommend you should, in step one, our pastor lays out who we are, what we do, where we're going, and how you can be a part of it. He doesn't offer you a place to sign a membership card so you can reap the benefits of a member. He gives you the opportunity to tap into the resources of this house in the anointing that's on this house with others and be partnered together so we can do something together. See, membership says you belong. Partnership says, no, 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 I'm in relationship. You can belong to a country club, but if you don't know anybody there, it ain't that much fun. You're still playing golf by yourself. You're still out there on the tennis court by yourself. I'm a member. Yeah, but if you haven't formed a relationship with somebody to hit the ball back to you, what good does the membership have you? I want to challenge you. Take a deep dive with us this semester. Partner with others in groups so you can fulfill your purpose. Listen to this. Together is better, and we believe that here. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10 says, two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor, and if either of them fails or falls down, one can help the other up. There's going to be a time where you fall down, and you're going to need somebody to say, come on, man, I've I've been there. Let's go. You're going to need the power of partnership. And then truthfully, you're going to need to be the power of partnership for somebody else. And you're going to say, hey, man, I've been there. Will you come on? Let's go together. I got your back. The fourth lesson that Jesus shared out of this that I picked up is, I need people who will protect me. I need people who will protect me. In John 16, he said, I have told you these things so you will not stumble or be caught off guard and fall away. Listen to this. This may be one of the most important lessons we learned today. In the Amplified Classic, it says, I've told you all these things that you should not be offended taken unaware of and falter, or that you won't be caused to stumble and fall away. That word fall away means scandal. I told you to keep you from being scandalized and then repelled. One of the greatest lessons I've learned in my life is I need people who will keep me out of trouble. (laughs) I need people that will say, hey, whoa, 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 you're going to do what? That don't sound like a good idea. I need people in my life who will protect me and shield me from choices and decisions and relationships that I may make on my own by myself in an isolated moment of, oh, Oh, you've been there. Listen, we, we are in company with others. We need people to protect us. I love this Ecclesiastes says, one standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Did I ever tell you the time I got beat up at the bowling alley? I popped off to this guy in the, in the lane next to us, and he wasn't that big of a dude. I mean, I could take him. 
Have you been there too? And I ran my mouth and then I went outside and guess what? It wasn't that dude outside. It was about six other dudes who were all bigger than him. He had called his buddies on the phone. And when I looked around, all my friends were gone. Listen, we need people that will protect us even when we're making wrong choices. He says two can stand back to back and conquer, but three is even better. A triple braided cord is not easily broken. Listen, I, somebody could come up on the stage behind me right now and take me down. I wouldn't be able to see it because I'm looking out here at you. But if I had someone with their back to my back, their eyes are going this way. That's the way God's called us to live our life. That we're moving forward, but there's somebody walking behind us making sure nobody get up behind you. Making sure that you don't step in something or join something or a part of something that may cause you failure in the future. That may scandalize you. That may put you in an uncompromising situation which would set you back. Listen, when you... Join a small group. You're saying, I need others that will protect me. And being in a small group allows somebody else to help you and watch out for your soul. Soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Let me ask you this. Do you have people in your life that can see your blind spots? Have you allowed people to say, hey, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but this is what it looks like. Let me ask you this. Who in your life is looking out for you? In a really dark time, I had a pastor friend of mine, a great friend, Gary Martin. He looked me right in the eyes. He said, Josh, who's, who's your guy? I said, uh, I don't know what that means. He said, who's your guy? Who could you tell anything to? And they wouldn't judge you. Who could, who could you share your deepest, darkest secrets with? And they would protect you no matter what you told them. I said, I ain't, I ain't got nobody like that. He said, I want to be that guy. He said, I want to be that for you. And I realized how vulnerable I was in that moment. Like, wait, 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 wait. I, I would allow you to get my back, like, but that makes me stronger now. And then I got your back. That's what life groups do. They allow somebody else to help you see something you can't see and put this protection around you that no matter which way you're going, somebody's got eyes on the decisions you're making. Listen to this. This is going to blow your mind. I was doing a little homework on small groups, and the Wesleyan Church was one of the first churches to do small groups. And John Wesley had these questions that they asked each other. It was kind of a list, and it's, it's evolved. It's, it's grown now. And, but this is the essence of what they asked their leaders to ask their small groups. You ready for this? These are the hard questions. They would go to their small groups, and the leader would say, have you been in a compromising situation this week? Have you lacked integrity in any financial dealings this week? Those are tough questions right there. They would ask them, say, have you viewed any sexually explicit material this week? That's a tough question. Do you have somebody in your life that's asking these questions? How about this one? Have you spent quality time in Bible study and prayer? Have you given priority to your time, priority and time to your family? Let me ask you this question. Have you fulfilled the mandate of your calling? I love the last question. It's this. Did you just lie to me? Guilty, yes, I just lied about all of them. Yes, I did all of those things. Do you have those kind of relationships in your life? Because if you don't have people asking you tough questions and you've given them permission to speak into your life, I'm going to tell you this, it may not happen tomorrow and it may not happen next week, but there's a scandal headed your way, an attack of the enemy to block you from your destiny. 
I know when you sign up for groups this week, you're going to find those kind of people that you trust with your life, you trust with your secret, not because of anything other than you know they will protect me. The fourth lesson, the fifth lesson, and the last is this. I need people who will pray for me. In chapter 16, they got up from the table. Jesus took the disciples and they went for a walk, not knowing where they were going. But in 17, chapter 17, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's coming. They don't. In just a few moments, the guards are going to come and arrest him, take him to Pilate, and the process of his execution begins. But in chapter 17, he says, he looked up to heaven and he prayed. And he said, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, Lord, but I'm praying for those that you've given to me for they are yours. It's wild for me to think in this moment, he, he ain't praying for the souls of Africa, India, Indonesia, wherever. He's not praying for the world. He's praying for those 12 that God called him to do life with for the last three years, that they would fulfill their purpose. They would walk in the fullness of everything that was to come, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus prayed for his small group. He didn't even pray for the whole church that was coming. He prayed for the 12 disciples who would plant that church. I need people that will pray for me. How about you? A few years ago, I was standing right here. some of my friends in the middle of a service like this they came and said we, we will there's a couple of great friends of ours they, they said we want to pray for you and this is what they said they said we want you to know we're going to be friends who not only talk to you about God but we're going to be friends that talk to God about you and how emotional because that hit me wait did it talk about God. We're in church. We're in small group. We're in relationship. We're pastors. Of course, we're going to talk about God, but this was a greater commitment. They were saying, we're not just going to talk to you about God. We want you to know you can count on us to talk to God about you. Let me ask you this. Do you have those kind of people in your life? Because that's the kind of people that you're going to encounter in the 57 leaders that we've trained to care for you, to encourage you, to partner with you, to protect you, but ultimately, they're there to pray for you. Because the power of God is greater than anything else in the power of prayer. It helps position us, prop us up towards our purpose. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to just read you one more scripture. That's Ephesians 6.18. Just listen to this as I close. He says out of the Message Bible, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. A lot of talk about what's essential right now. Essential business, essential, essential. Listen, he said right here, prayer is essential. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters so that no one falls behind or drops out. I want you to know when you sign up for a group this week, and I know you're going to, you're going to find the greatest power of prayer that you've ever felt in your time here at IFC because... We've instructed them that prayer is the power of God coming down and changing things. You say, why should I get in a group? Number one, you need to recognize you need people who care for you. Just like me, you need people who are going to encourage you, 
You need people who are going to partner with you, protect you, and ultimately pray for you. As you go today, I pray that you'll take advantage of what we've created here and take, it, take, 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 take some of it home with you. Like, be a part of it. Let it be an addition to your life. Find some new friends. Find a new family, maybe. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, be, before you join a small group, I want to make sure that everybody knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Greater than committing to a group, you, you need to commit to Jesus first. Before you commit to any relationship with a man or a woman or another family, the greatest commitment that you make is to Jesus, the one who was telling us this. And the Bible says it's so easy. All we have to do is out of our heart, speak words through our mouth. And the Bible says that if we believe that he did die, and that we believe that he was raised, and we confess that with our mouth, all of a sudden we're now positioned with him. We find our identity in him. All of our sin being covered. All of our past being erased. And we're made new in him. I want to make sure today that everybody at home and everybody in this room has that opportunity. If you're here, I won't embarrass you at all. I just would ask that you raise your hand and let me know who I'm talking to. If that's you, you say, Pastor, count me in. I want to pray. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Raise your hand right now. I want to pray for you. I see you, buddy. I see you, buddy. Yes, ma'am. I see you. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. I see you. I got you back here. Yes, 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 yes. I see you all the way in the back, buddy. Anybody else want to join these brave individuals who are getting ready to start a new journey in life? I see you guys back there. Yes, ma'am, I see you. Just by raising your hand and say, count me in. I, I, something's going off in my heart right now. I feel like this is something I'm supposed to do. That's the Holy Spirit nudging you. One last call. Maybe you're at home and, and you feel that way. I'm going to pray with you as well. Oh, man, what an amazing day. Let's do this together. I see you guys. I want you to do this, whether you've prayed this prayer before or you raised your hand and this is your first time. Can we do this? Say, Father, just say it out of your heart. Father, I believe that you love me enough to send your son to this earth to die on a cross for me, for my sins, for my shame. Today, in front of my friends, in front of this family, I declare Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we make some noise for all those that... Receive Jesus today.